As is always true, the first day of the week is a day of such blessing. It's a day that affords us not only the beginning of a new week, but to start that week out on the best possible foot. And as you and I know, that involves the proper honor and respect directed to the God of heaven. It's so good to see each of us blessed in such a way we could assemble and gather today. You may have noted on the wall behind me, as well as the the particular announcement in the bulletin concerning the lesson today, it has to do with a word that appeared in that verse that Cale just read a few moments ago. That verse made reference to the life and times of Noah, how that he was moved with fear, and in so doing, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. The verb that's used there is prepare, and that, in fact, will be a key matter in our study today, a matter of preparation. For the next few moments, would you then journey with me as we reflect on this? And this opening slide will be one that will motivate, I hope, the remainder of our discussion this morning. The word prepare, likely all of us could define it in one way or another. We might not use exactly the same words, but the sentiment, no doubt, would be a very consistently understood one. To make ready to in fact put things in order for a particular eventuality. I wrote it on that slide this way, to make ready beforehand for some purpose, use, or activity. Now with that in mind, of course, which is perfectly understandable, we understand what is involved in preparing for something. But today we're going to discuss the most significant, the most needful of all kinds of preparation. Don't you find it interesting how that so often in life we are pretty good at preparing for some things. That young couple who, in fact, are getting ready for their wedding, they may spend months making preparation for that event, making sure everything is ready, making sure all the particulars involved in it are exactly in order. What about sports teams? Isn't it true many of us have either played sports or we are well acclimated to what goes on, but that coach and the other elements of that team, they will in fact invest significant effort to make sure you're ready for the activity. It may be the next opponent or it may well be another aspect and improvement. May I again say we're often pretty good at preparation, but the most significant one, oddly enough, is something sometimes that falls right by the wayside. This next slide will then start our journey more in earnest, and really this is what helped to motivate some of the particulars of this lesson. You may remember that a little bit less than a month ago, so it likely is very, very fresh on our thinking. We well remember what took place. There was an ice storm that rolled through our area. Along with it, we well understood and witnessed many things like this. Ice coated the electrical power lines and limbs. And in so many instances, those, of course, crashed to the ground beneath and often took the electricity with it. And in so doing, there were families and homes that found themselves without electricity for at least hours and sometimes days. There were those who did not have heat, obviously, during that time, if the only heat they had was electricity. And there were those who had no recourse to refrigerated foods because the refrigerator, of course, was out. And there were those who suffered through a number of other things that came with that, not the least of which is this. 
Do you recall the roads in many instances were covered with a sheet of ice and travel was very treacherous? There were those who thus could not come and make deliveries to our homes and places of stay. The point I'm saying all that is this. It was a time of challenge for many people. And it was a time of some difficulty to be sure. But it was that very observation that brings you to the next item on the slide. Right after that began to happen, and in fact right up until it, it became very clear very quickly there were a lot of things you then could not get. I can well remember. I wasn't looking for one, but there was someone who happened to be in front of me at the hardware store. and They were almost pleading for a generator, and the person said, they sell faster than I can put them out. You won't get one anywhere in Cookville. You see, that's not the right time to be trying to buy a generator when the storm has already come. That's not the right time to be looking for necessary needful supplies when the storm has already arrived. By the same token, you see, there were a number of other things easily to be understood. It was impossible at that time, you see, to obtain any number of other things. Alternate heating sources. To go several days with no electricity, if that's your only source of heat, is going to make for a very, very hard time. And so there were those quickly looking for the propane kinds of more immediate heat. That was hard to find too, for obvious reasons. As you and I close that slide, the issue then might be asserted as this. I believe there are a number of lessons that might be well understood from that weather event that might be a great help to us as we give thought to the grandest of all preparations. It all begins with lesson number one. There is a rather dire need for preparation. Let's perhaps develop that in this way. I so strongly suspect that there were many, many people who in the days and weeks leading up to that ice storm, they really had not any conception that they needed to prepare for it. Maybe it had been years since any significant storm had come and the thought of it had lapsed from their mind and they simply gave no thought to needing to prepare for something like it. May I suggest that same idea is a very pertinent one for all of us. And I'm not talking about weather anymore. There are many who do not think they need to prepare, but listen to some verses like this. In Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul was at that time standing in the city of Athens. And he made a very bold proclamation in the midst of the city overwhelmed with idolatry. It was with regard to the unknown God that he developed a lesson. And he concluded it like this. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Didn't that take some courage to acclaim that in the midst of that Gentile city? A city that was wholly given to idolatry. And may we be quick to say that it's likely true many of those before whom Paul spoke were good neighbors. Many of them, no doubt, were kind-hearted people. And Paul said, you've got to repent. This kind of thing God will not accept. And verse 31 elaborates like this, Because He hath appointed a day 
in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him from the dead. In the very same way that the ice storm came, could we now not affirm, there is coming a day of judgment. We sing a song sometimes with an element of sentiment much like that. There's coming a day. And as we joyously lift our voices, we are so thankful to know about the element in preparation for it. But there's coming a day. It would be very foolish on my part to forget about that reality, to ignore that reality. And so isn't it true that I need to prepare for it? And so too do you. An additional verse to which I would point your attention is in Romans 14, 12. As, again, same writer addressed these points to the church at Rome, he pointed this thought, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And it's always seemed so pertinent to me that the verb that Paul used was so directed, he did not say this is something that may occur. He did not say this is something that might happen. He said, so every one of us shall give account of himself to God. None of us will be able to avoid it. None of us will be able to exempt out of it. The judgment is something that you and I, every one of us, and every human being that has or shall ever live is going to be there. It would do us well then to appreciate the need to prepare. It is with that thought in mind, the next element is a simple one. Some may be under the impression, well, what do I need to prepare for? I've never done anything wrong. Oh, I'm not perfect, I know, but I nonetheless am not something. I've never murdered anybody. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never stolen anything, and I'm okay with God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever, quote, stretched the truth, as our world would like to say it? Have you ever deceived anybody in any minute way? Then if so, you've been guilty of sin and you know it. And same for me. The point is, none of us can claim we've never sinned. In fact, John would say it like this in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, to the one who says he has no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. And the fact is that sin will condemn me. It'll condemn you. It will, in fact, separate us from God in the words of Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And so that sin will separate you and I from God. And in that condition, we're lost in that condition, we are those who are not recipients of the sweet blessings of redemption. And for that reason, the next element on the verse is a reminder of what's going to transpire at this judgment. It is not merely a, quote, social visit with coffee and donuts. That is not the proper way to look upon the reality of the judgment. Hebrews 10.31 reminds all of us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I would submit for those prepared, it will be a rather sweet day. It will be a rather comfortable and, in fact, 
a great day of rejoicing. But for those unprepared, and that is going to be the majority, it's a fearful thing. It's a time when, in fact, the die will have been cast. No further opportunity to make preparation. No further opportunity to get ready. That next verse, the one that I would ask you to consider here is Hebrews 12, 29. The last verse of that chapter, our God is a consuming fire. I would submit most people don't like to think of God as a consuming fire. He is more often portrayed as this grandfatherly figure who is tolerant and accepting and rather jovial in every way. And it's true, I suppose, that if one is in favor with God and consistent with His will, there's every reason to appreciate a very kind and loving relationship in that way. But for those unprepared, for those rebellious against His will, and for those who do not honor His authority, He's a consuming fire. As the slide moves onward, this reminder might be additionally an important one to note too. The day of your death and mine. Doesn't Hebrews 9.27 remind us it's appointed unto men once to die? And after this the judgment. The first part of that verse probably comes to mind more quickly, but may we never forget that that time of death is the final matter of opportunity on our part to prepare. After that is the judgment. Am I ready? Are you prepared? We would be rather foolish, don't you suppose, if we, in light of the urgencies and warnings of the Bible, if we take no preparation. I suppose it could be perhaps stated like this. That ice storm to which we referred earlier, suppose that someone had a marvelous weather forecast that was absolute 100% guaranteed. And one month before the ice storm, it was foretold this is exactly what's going to happen. You're going to be without power a week. And the person made no preparation whatsoever. Would you not consider it foolish? Would you not consider them rather blind to the matters and needfulness at hand? Sure we would. And yet God has told us exactly what the judgment's going to be like. If we fail, it isn't His fault. It's mine and it's yours. As we close that slide concerning preparation, it would seem we've highlighted how important it is to prepare, but lesson two is this. What a tremendous wisdom connects to the reality of that preparation. And let's develop that thought, perhaps, with these ideas in mind. The opening thought on that slide I've asked you to consider is this. We noted it a moment ago. There were lots of people who were trying to buy generators and find sources of heat after the ice had started to fall. But it was too late then. The stores were out. It wasn't possible to find those kinds of things any longer. It was too late. It's going to be that way when it comes to judgment too. For a lot of people, it's going to end up being too late. Oh, they'll know then how important the preparation is. They'll understand then what should have been done. But it will be too late. The opportunity will have passed. The Bible has much to say about those kinds of things. Let's develop these two points first in 2 Peter 2.5. 
the man Noah, again, Cale read a, a little about him while ago. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Have you ever thought, what else did Noah do while he was building the ark? Second Peter 2.5 says he was a preacher. He was a preacher of righteousness, and all the while that the ark was in construction, he warned, he asserted, he told what was going to happen, and yet loads of people no doubt laughed, reviled, mocked, made fun of what he was doing. They did not take it seriously. And then once the rain started falling, I have every expectation that then they took it seriously. When it got about ankle high, I'm sure it started crossing their mind. When it got knee high, I'm sure they were running as fast as they could to get to that ark. By the time it got waist high, they knew what was about to happen. And probably started running to the highest hill nearby, and soon they found even that wasn't high enough. The door of the ark had been shut by then. It was too late. It was too late. How many sermons had they heard Noah preach in the intervening previous years? I don't know. Perhaps a lot. How many people today have heard lots of lessons, reflections, devotions, sermons, and all the while the truth of the matter has, in essence, innocently passed. All the while thinking, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll obey next Sunday. I'd like to have my family there with me. And soon it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. In wisdom, we should ponder this now. For that reason, the next element on the slide about the middle of it calls to your attention. Jesus had much to say about this. Not long before they nailed Him to a cross. You and I recognize it in the opening parable of Matthew 25. Do you recall that they had just asked Him a number of questions? Lord, all these stones that have been turned upside down and have been laid aside that Jesus pointed out to them, they asked Him, When will all these things happen you're describing? And what will be the sign of Thy coming and of the end of the world? Matthew 24, verse 3. At that point, the Lord proceeded to answer their questions. He told them about the destruction of Jerusalem. But then, starting about verse 36 of Matthew 24, he launched into a different answer to the other question. What about my coming in the end of the world? He told them there would be no signs of this event. But then he said the urgent word is preparation. Watchfulness. And he told that well-known parable of five wise and five foolish virgins. And we all remember how it went. The bridegroom was scheduled to come at some point, but they didn't know when. So they took some oil, and the foolish ones only took enough oil to last for a little while. The wise ones took not only enough oil for the short run, but they even took additional to last as long as it might be until the bridegroom came. And sure enough, the bridegroom tarried. He didn't come quickly. He didn't come very immediately. And soon the following took place. The cry came, the bridegroom is coming. And so the virgins began to get ready and the foolish ones found our lamps now won't light because the oil is gone. We've used it all up. The wise ones trimmed their lamps, 
made everything ready, and they were prepared to receive the bridegroom. And don't you, can't you just hear what took place in the conversations as the foolish ones begged them, please share your oil with us. We don't have time to go get any. But the wise ones said, if we give you of ours, we won't have enough. And so the only choice the foolish ones had was to go and try and find some oil somewhere. By the time they returned, the bridegroom had come. They had all gone into the celebration and the door had been closed. It was too late. Now, they had been there a while and they had brought a little oil, but they weren't prepared for what was going to be required. There's a great wisdom in preparation, isn't there? Those two examples, the one drawn concerning the days of Noah and the one concerning, of course, the matters of that parable, I'll point out how often the Bible urges us to watch. Don't you find that word intriguing? Over and over again, Jesus insisted, here's what you got to do, watch. In the words of Mark 13, verse number 37, the Lord would say it again in Luke 21, 36. Later on, Paul would issue the same matter in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Are you and I watching? Are we prepared? Are we living each day such that if it be our last, it's fine with us? Oh, if God will bless us to stay, we're going to be committed to do His will. But when it comes our time, we're going to be ready. Lesson number three. We've studied a little bit about the need and the wisdom for preparation. Someone might in earnestness and honesty ask, so what do I need to do to be prepared for that day of judgment? That's a good question. I would submit how thankful we all should be that we have the answer. Wouldn't it be scary? Wouldn't it be frightening? Wouldn't it be so uncertain if we knew there was coming a day of judgment but did not know what to do in order to ensure preparation? And yet, these things are told to us. Today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, Do not procrastinate. Do not put it off till next Sunday, till Wednesday, not even till tomorrow. Today, the inspired writer says, the day of salvation. And there are two immediate things that certainly are factors in it. Number one, you don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow. Your death could take place. But on the other hand, the Lord might come back. The second coming could happen. Either way, we must be ready. Am I ready? What about you? You'll notice that obedience to the gospel is demanded. Paul put it like this in 2 Thessalonians 1, "...to you who are troubled, rest with us." When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be separated from the Lord in the presence of His power. Obedience to the gospel, and thankfully the Bible identifies that involves hearing the message of truth, believing Jesus to be the Son of God, repenting of sins, making confession of the name of Christ, 
and being baptized in water for the remission of sins. We find the book of Acts details on so many accounts the examples of those who did those things. Today, what about you and me? There are those in this assembly that need to obey the gospel. You know who you are. The Lord died on the cross and He wants nothing more for you than to be saved eternally. He doesn't want you to be lost. He doesn't want anybody to be lost. 1 Timothy 2.4 He wants you and I to come to the understanding and to do in service that which He demands. In the obedience to the gospel, of course, we are added to the church. And from that point onward, we as a faithful servant in that church are thus those who bring glory and honor to God. What about your life and mine? Though baptized at one point, how faithful are you and me? Are we developing in ourselves that degree of service and commitment that would be pleasing to the Master? Are you prepared? What about me? I ask all of this simply because the Word of God urges us to ask it of ourselves. You'll notice that faithfulness is highlighted in Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus there talked about those who, if they'll overcome this world and overcome Satan and self and sin, you can come over and live with me. And isn't that what all of us want? The fourth and final point is this one. I believe we would be a bit remiss not to at least point out one last consideration. The Bible gives us a portrait of those who are unprepared. Let me say again, I wonder if we have a biblical image of the scene on the Day of Judgment, perhaps indicative of those who are not prepared. Now, we've often thought about the joyous and sweetness of those who are and how they'll be able to hear words like, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Be thou ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. And don't you want to hear that? I know we do. But we also know that there are others to whom He said, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, that certainly couldn't be descriptive of those that were at least at one time a child of God, for He would have known them at one time. But in Revelation, we have a description that would seem to me to be a rather fitting one for the kind of thought to close our lesson today. I've asked you to notice a few of the verses that you'll notice in terms of some of these descriptions. The sinners of Noah's day, I hinted at that one before. They wanted aboard the ark, no doubt, but then it was too late. The book of Genesis doesn't give us a lot of the details of what they might have said. The next example I chose for you is Amos 4.12. I would submit that in many ways that could be used as an entire other lesson. The exact, exact phrase in that verse is, Prepare to meet thy God. Please, may none of us ever take that out of context. He's not urging them to get ready f by repentance. The message Amos shared is, You better get ready, Buster. You've had your chance. The time has passed. And now you've got to meet God. 
In that sense, again, we're trying to issue to ourselves the need for preparation. In John 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus spoke about that sweet day of resurrection, when there will be a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. But it is that text in Revelation 6 to which I wanted to point your attention. I'll just read several of the verses that close that chapter. As the seals were opened in the book of Revelation, the sixth seal brought us a number of things, and all we're interested in is the application to our lesson today. In that particular verse, and I'll begin reading in verse number 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every freeman hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the rocks and mountains, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? The lesson is yours today. The great day of His wrath is going to come. Who will be able to stand? Only those who've obeyed the gospel. Only those who've lived faithfully to His cause. Nobody else will be able to stand. It is as if they will plead for the mountains and rocks to fall on them because it'll be too late. No more time for preparation then. To conclude this lesson, we've learned several things about preparation prompted by an ice storm. And we've learned how needful it is to prepare, how wise it is to prepare, what acts are involved in preparing, and the sadness of those who are unprepared. Don't let that be you or me. If today you need to respond to the gospel's call of invitation, don't delay. Don't wait. Tonight is too late. Today's the day of salvation. Brother Eddie's chosen this song of encouragement. If we can be of assistance and help to you in your response to the gospel's public call, we'd love to do it. Even now, while together we stand and sing. <laughs>